thanks to the worship team for always just taking us appropriately to the throne of God and uh, appreciate you guys and how you lead us. So it's good to be back from my three-week sabbatical and just need to pause here and take my turn at being undone a little bit. The, uh, this is the first time I've been in front of you since we've lost three very special church treasures um, here, Joe Norman and Jimmy Campbell, and now our sweet Melba Burr over the last few weeks. And so I just needed to be with you in that and us be with that together. And they are representative of, I know, a lot of other loved ones, extended family that, that we've lost recently. Um, and uh, it's, just, it's just tough. It, it's tough. It stopped and made me think of back in the first century when some of the epic leaders of the church in that time and in that region passed away, like when Paul passed away and Barnabas passed away and Mary passed away. And, you know, what did the church do? What did the church do? Because you know that was such a significant event because of the impact that they had had on the fellowship and and on the localities where they were ministering. And what came to mind was, well, what happened was Timothy and John Mark and Priscilla and Tabitha kept doing the same thing. And so I happened to be someone who has been invested in by all three of those church treasures that passed away these last three weeks. I've had many visits from these guys, and I'm so grateful, so grateful for them. And sorrowful and rejoicing for them, but it's ours to continue on. We live in a larger story, and that's why we can praise in the midst of our sorrow, and so we're glad to do that with you and also with Sue and with Melody um, in those losses. So it's good to be back. I do appreciate the time away from my regular duties in order to connect with God in a special way, but my favorite part every time I do it, I'm always looking forward to it, and, and it's great, but it's coming back, coming back, and I don't mean just of my regular duties. I mean to you. I love you. I love you. I love you, and being separated from this fellowship and the role that I get to play uh, is something I miss when I'm not doing it, and it's just, it's beautiful, and so thank you. Thank you for the time away, and thank you for having me back. Thank you for having me back. A couple things that are coming that I want you to be aware of. You should already be aware of them. Of course, we're going to have two more weeks in our regroup. Appreciate Ryan kicking us off last week. I'll get to the content of what we kind of want you to be focused on as you launch back or for the first time in a small group. Uh, over, I'll get back to that here in a minute. I want to just add my two cents. September 19th should be on your calendar already for Recovery Sunday. It's Recovery Month. And in our nation, and we have, because of the calling on our life as a church to be a church that we want to be the church in town that is available for those who are struggling with addiction. We're all in recovery because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but specifically those who struggle with drug and alcohol addiction, family members of those who struggle with that, and the frontline caregivers in our city that ministered them in a professional way on the continuum of care, we want to be a place where they know we will walk with them 
we will be with each other in that. And so September 19th, our recovery minister, Jeremy Hunter and Doyle, will be putting together a service that will remind some of you who have come to us, you don't know the story. You don't know the story of why that's a part of what we do and how it fits and who we are. So we'll get to celebrate that and remember that in a couple weeks. Then after that, the last week of September, the first two weeks of October, we have a special three-week series that I'm very excited about on a subject that is surprisingly common among people and even Christians, although it's oftentimes horribly underaddressed. And that is the subject of doubt. Doubt. You know, we speak a lot here about taking off the mask. And that's just kind of our code for saying we want to be real and authentic with ourselves. But there's another aspect of that. And that is we want to engage in life in a real and authentic way. Okay? We want to engage in life on life's terms. And so you can't be a church that's committed to taking off the mask, to being real, and committed to truth wherever it leads without being committed to dealing with doubt. It's real. There are tons of people, by the way, and I'm one of them, that if a church is not interested in dealing with the hard questions of God, the hard questions about faith, about the Bible, about Jesus, they don't want to be any part of that church. If they're not willing to walk into those difficult parts to legitimize that there's, there really are legitimate questions, I don't want to be a part of that church because it, it just feels like they're just holding their ears or sticking their head in the sand and just believing something that's not tested, that doesn't engage with real people and real life. And so we have to run headlong into those tough questions. And that means we are going to be a church that leaves plenty of room for doubt. And while there's room for doubt, it's also incumbent upon us to not use doubt as a hiding place from making decisions. As a a convenient hiding place from being committed to anything. Tons of people use doubt for that. We can't have that either. We need to walk into it and take a shot at really looking at what our doubts are. So one of our church treasures here is Kyle Wade, and he has been preparing for this series, this three-week series for months. I say he's been preparing. He has been prepared, he would probably say, for this series because of his life, because of his ministry for months. We started talking about this probably six months ago, but he's been thinking about it and working on it longer than that. And so he's going to lead us through that by using his unique gifts of honesty and courage and compassion to walk us through some very important topics around that subject of doubt. So invite your friends and come. There's a verse that I thought of when I talked to Kyle about this. It's in Jude. It, Jude is just a little bitty book. It doesn't even have in chapters. It's just got, you know, a couple dozen verses. And it's Jude 22. And Jude is writing to a group of Christians. And one of his parting words to this church was this. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. And one of the ways is to acknowledge doubt's existence, its legitimacy, and also to take real shots at addressing it. Okay, so I just really wanted to pump that up for you, and you might have friends that this would be a great series for you to bring them to. All right, so let me begin this 
this continuation of our regroup theme with this question. It's a question that Ryan introduced you to last week that we want you to be asking in your groups this semester at a minimum. And it's this. How have you experienced God in the last week? Like really ask that. How have you experienced God in the last week? You got it? You might, you might have. Most of us probably don't. We, we would have to sit with it for a while. We'd have to think because we didn't go through our last week paying attention, looking for the answer to that question. I've got a little personal story that when, when Ryan told me that he was leaning this way earlier this summer for regroup this year, I got really excited, and this is partly why. So I'm old enough now that I can look back, and I have some seasons in my life, okay? And so there's one particular season in my life where I grew, like, exponentially, spiritually. Like, God really took some ground. And it was a long season. I'm, I'm guessing it was about seven years of my life. And and. That season, when I look back on it, it centered on one practice, one discipline that was a part of my life for seven years. And it was meeting with a small group on Monday nights every week for seven years asking this question. We didn't ever let this question get old. We asked this question every week for seven years. About 12 to 18 of us in this small group would meet and we would spend the first hour and do nothing but answer this question. And something happened to us as the weeks and months and years went by. We did not sit quiet when the microphone came to our turn in that circle. We got acclimated. We learned to look for him, to notice him, to cement it into our experience by sharing it with the church, with the fellowship of believers. And something happened now when I look back in that season. Ground was taken in me. A personal relationship with God was experienced by me. And it was taken in a way that I don't think I could give it up if I tried. It's seven years of identifying and honoring and acknowledging and being affirmed and being amazed and in awe of and changed by experiences of God and with God. It was during that time. It would be like we're talking about doubt. If, if somebody, it would be like, so Carrie and I are celebrating 25 years this year. It would be like being in a marriage with Carrie for 25 years and somebody coming up and saying, you know, I don't think Carrie exists. Are you sure she exists? You know, I I don't know if Carrie, I don't know if she loves you really. Do you really think Carrie loves you? That that would be like, that. do you see how impossible with 25 years of experiential relationship with Carrie, how ridiculous that would be. That is similar to what I have from that seven years with God. I can academically doubt, but my experience, my relationship, it would be hard for me to not believe in Carrie if I tried. Don't you want that with God? Don't you want that kind of stability? That's what we're after. The goal for this fall, at a minimum, the goal for this fall for you in your small group is for you to grow in your awareness of God. We're Christians. We should be 
looking for God all the time anyway. We should be doing that because real Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with a person. Just like marriage isn't an institution, it's a relationship with a person. And this question, if I had my way, you would ask this question for the next seven years, every week with a group of people, so that what has happened to me, I would wish it on anyone, especially if you deal with the curse of doubt sometimes. I want you to think about it. This question's powerful. It presumes some things. You know, presumption is bad in a lot of cases, but Jesus used questions to embed in those questions some presumptions to put people in a situation where they had to deal with and confront truth. Think about this question. This question presumes that God is active. This question presumes that God is active around you. Last week, this question presumes that you are supposed to have an answer to it. It doesn't say, have you experienced God in the last week, but how have you? It presumes that you're supposed to have had an experience with him this last week. It's a powerful question. So let me just ask you, let me just, let's pause there and look at those presumptions. And let me ask you, do you believe that God is active before you answer too quick? Really think about it. Because not all Christians do. There's a lot of Christians that overtly teach this academically, but then there's others that just believe it mindlessly, that God set things up, put it in place, spiritual principles are established, creation order, and the rest is up to you. The rest is just up to you to obey those spiritual principles. He's not really active. He's not talking. He's not guiding. He's not intervening. He's done all the work. He's done it. Now it's your turn. It's our turn. Do you believe that God is active? Do you believe that God is active around you? Like that he's after you? That he's pursuing you? Don't answer too quick. Tons of people either overtly believe it or just mindlessly like a zombie act as if that's not for me. That's for super spiritual people. That's for preachers and elders and missionaries and prophets and apostles. And some people even say that was for people back in the Bible, not for people now. It's for super spiritual people, people who need to write books of the Bible. So don't answer too quick. Do you believe that God is active around you? Do you believe, the third question, do you believe he wants you to have an experiential relationship with him? That he wants to cement that into your heart and into your experience. Do you believe that? Don't answer too quick. Far too many Christians do not believe it or they say they do, but I watch their lives, they act like they don't. They never talk about how it went with God last week, they might talk about how it went with their wife or their parents or their kids because they're real. That's, that's real. But their belief is, is just academic in nature. Many Christians think that Christianity is a belief system. And that's it. Or a set of religious practices. Or that's it, and that's it. Or it's a belief system and a set of religious practices, but that's it. Real Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with a person. And if you don't believe 
these things. If you don't believe God is active, that he's real, that he's practical and interested in an interpersonal, experiential relationship with you, that he's pursuing you, that he's communicating to you, that he's speaking to you, that he's attempting to influence the way you should go. If you don't believe all that, then last week he could have had a bullhorn and tried to speak to you and you didn't hear him because you don't believe it. There's some other explanation for that circumstance or that word from a Christian brother or sister. There's some, other, there's some other reason for it. If you don't believe in it, if you don't believe in an experiential relationship with God, then for you it's true. You don't have one. Because you're missing it. He could be pursuing you. He could be active. But you're missing it. Because you weren't looking or listening for him. I've never understood Christians who say they believe in the Bible, but they don't believe that God is active, that he wants to speak to humanity, that he wants to intervene in our lives, communally and individually. I don't understand that because if you believe in the Bible, this whole Bible is, can be seen as a set of stories of God speaking and interacting and influencing people. Communally and individually. The whole book. So if you're going to believe in the Bible and believe that God doesn't speak to me today or to us today, then you have to believe this whole Bible that you believe in is a book of exceptions, not a book of examples. Do you want to go, do you want to go forward that way? Do you want to go forward saying the Holy Bible Whispered by God and man, co-written and co-authored and preserved for us with all these stories, story after story after story of God interacting and speaking to mankind. This is God speaking, interacting with mankind. It's full of stories about it. But you want to just say, that's just a bunch of exceptions. That's not how we operate in the world today. It's how God revealed himself that he operates in the world, but that's not how we operate. Do you want to do that? I've never understood that. God intervenes with us. God desires an intimate relationship with you. So I just picked three. In a way, this subject, you can maybe tell, it's one of my first loves in my, can you you be in love with a subject? I mean, I don't know. But it is one of my first loves in my walk of faith was exploring this and, and opening up to this and experimenting with this. And so I have tons of stories in Scripture. So I, I just picked three. There's hundreds. But I, for today, I picked three for three simple lessons for you. As I hope you will go forward asking this question every week with your small group for seven years. At least this next semester. Okay? But for seven years. Really, it's my, it's my hope. So the first lesson comes from Adam and Eve. Now, one of my big regrets about the Bible... Can I have a regret about the Bible? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I have one of my regrets about the Bible is we only get two chapters describing what God intended for, for humanity and creation and him. You know, we only got two chapters before sin entered the world. And it's beautiful. I mean, so he packs a lot in there and there's a lot we can gain from it. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's shameless. Right? There's no shame. You read it. The, the word naked is in, in those first two chapters in an uncomfortable amount of times. Because they're not covering up. There's no shame. It's intimate. It's cooperative. Not just with man to man. But, but with, with God, man and God. We're co-ruling this thing. 
that God created. There's inter- it's, it's beautiful. Sin messes that up, of course, after two chapters. And we get our first lesson about what not to do concerning God then trying to reconnect with sinful man as he wants this experiential relationship. And I'll give you what the observation, then I'll show you where I see it. Do not hide or ignore God. Hide from or ignore God. Do not hide from or ignore God. It's in Genesis 3. They've sinned, and it says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I mean, we get the picture here. It's this relational intimacy. They do this together. God just acts like everything's fine, but Adam and Eve are hiding. And it made me just ask the question, right here in one of the, 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 the beginning story of our faith and the first story after sin, it's about the separation by man's decision to hide from or ignore interaction with God. And we've been doing it ever since. Coming up with all kinds of theologies to defend it, even in the church. We've got to give that up. Do not hide from And I asked, why would anyone hide from or ignore God? If you keep going in this, Adam and Eve explain why they did it. They were afraid. So I know there's, there's a whole bucket bucket full of lists of things that we're afraid of that might make us want to hide from God. Inconvenience might make us hide from or ignore God, right? Like if we're going to be attentive to God, that means we're interruptible by God. That means we don't get to do our plan all the time. We're going to respond to his plan. So inconvenience is another reason you hide from or ignore God. Shame is probably the most popular one talked about in my office. They're just people full of shame. Think Adam and Eve were dealing with that. That's why they were covering up now. They're scared. They don't have the right to be around God. They don't have the right to an interpersonal relationship with God. Shame. Disbelief. We've already covered that. If you don't believe it, you won't experience it. So that's one of the reasons we ignore or hide from God. False belief. We've covered that too. If you believe some false theology that says that the Bible doesn't teach that God wants to interact with you, then you'll never interpret anything as if he is. So that's the do not. I've got a do not and a do and then a piece of informative guidance, I guess. This is the do not. Do not hide from or ignore God. We learned that right at the beginning from Adam and Eve. Now, the do, the do, we find this one in the life of Moses in a scene that has really become the archetype for me, and not just me, tons of Christians, the archetype of God speaking to man and my desire to hear him. You'll hear me. If I'm dealing with a tough decision that doesn't just have a black and white verse on it, right? There's tons of those. Do I move to Amarillo and preach or stay in Houston and be a youth minister? There's not a verse for that. And that was an epic moment in my life. And I don't want to make the decision. I want to do God's will. And so I want to hear from him. And so you, you would have heard me then, and many of my friends have heard me now, when we're struggling with some decision, I'll say, boy, I could really use a burning bush on this one. Some of you know that story. This, it comes from this story of Moses and one of his interactions with God. I won't get into all the context. We don't need to, to make this point and to learn this lesson. So let me read it to you. It's in Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of, his, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, 
There the angel of the Lord peered to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Pause. This is inside info. Moses doesn't know that yet. You, the, the, he's telling us that the Lord is in that, but Moses doesn't know that yet. And that's important for the lesson here. And so here's how I know that Moses doesn't know. It says in verse three, so Moses thought, uh, uh, I'm sorry, back up. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. He didn't say, oh, so God's there. That must be God. He didn't say, he just sees this, this thing, this curious thing. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, did not burn up. How do I know? Because we get some of Moses' self-talk in verse 3. Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know why. So when, now catch this, church, this is important. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, then God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Here's the lesson I learned from that when I zoom in. It's not just a cool story. There's instruction here. What we learn from Moses is to be attentive and curious. Be attentive and curious. Turn on the, I, I don't know if this works or not, but you've heard me say it several times, the God radar. Turn on the, and when I do this, people probably wondering what I was doing. I was telling Adrian this this way. You're going to be the only one that knows what I'm doing here because nobody probably knows what I'm doing. It's, I, this is me visualizing one of those radar things, you know, satellite that's on and it's going in a circle. You know, that, that's what this is. When you see me do this, that's, that's what that is. Tell your friends who aren't here for Labor Day. Because uh, I find myself doing this all the time. People probably wonder, what is he doing? I mean, that's what I'm doing. Turn on the God radar. You've got to be attentive and you've got to be curious. Not everything is God. But God does reach out. And evidently, it's when you go to look. When the Lord saw that Moses went to look, he then spoke. That's when Moses found out. God wants us to have a relationship with him. To learn about each other. To learn how to communicate. To find out what it's like to experience him. So that's the do. So don't ignore him or hide from him. Do be attentive and curious. Last lesson this morning is just a useful piece of information as you turn on that God radar. And this is from Elijah. Great prophet in the Old Testament. Suffice it to say, Elijah was in a very stressful set of circumstances. You could really relate to him and how he was feeling. He's overwhelmed. He's disoriented. He does not feel safe. You ever felt like that? Some of you might feel like that now. I know. I know we can relate to Elijah. He was in desperate need of comfort. He was in desperate need of stability. He probably didn't care where it came from. Because he was just in that much need. He was in fear for his life, we'll find out. He'll mention it. But I just want you to get a sense of his emotional state. And so it's in 1 Kings 19. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm going to say it how I think Elijah is feeling it. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then this interesting little scene happens. A great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But 
The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle whisper. The version that I learned this in said, the still, small voice. That's always stuck with me, the still, small voice voice of God. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, said the same thing this verse started with. What are you doing here, Elijah? He was ready. What we learn from this little story of Elijah is a lot here, but the thing I want to draw to you is God is not always found in the loudest and most obvious thing going on. He's not always found in that. Listen, God does, I believe, and I'll teach this to you, I'm sure, many times. I think he speaks through our circumstances, but not in isolation from him because we will misinterpret circumstances every time. We'll have the death of a loved one, and without God walking with us, we will presume he doesn't love us because a loved one died. Do you know how many people do that? Tons of people do that. We'll have a loved one turn away from Christ when we're praying for him all the time and we will make conclusions about that, about our performance or about their stubbornness or the impossibility of it all and it will change our mood unless we have God interpreting the fires and the earthquakes and the storms. We gotta hear his voice or we will get it wrong every time. So what do we learn here from Elijah? God is not always found in the loudest, most obvious thing. Now, he might get your attention with him. He might put you in a situation where you're desperate for comfort, for security. He might put you, you might lose your job. You might lose all your money. You might lose all your loved ones. You might lose your church. You might lose all kinds of things. Something happens that just disrupts your security and you don't care where the comfort comes from and God's gonna come in and be a little louder to you because he's got your attention. So he might do that. But make no mistake, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Sometimes, sometimes we need to be, so we do, we don't need to ignore or hide from them. We do need to be attentive and curious. But those are all kind of circumstances as you go things. But sometimes God's going to say, hey, go to the mountain. Go to the mountain. I'm about, to, I'm about to show up. And so we'll talk about this a little next week. And your small group leaders have already been equipped with a whole list of spiritual disciplines, proven spiritual disciplines that are all about taking a time out from your normal life and going and being still before God and listening for that still small voice. That's important. So don't hide from God's voice. Be attentive and curious, but also make time to go and stand before God for the express purpose in the midst of the fires and the earthquakes and the winds for the express purpose of waiting for him to show up with his still small voice because God is not always found in the loudest, most obvious thing. Let me ask our elders and our ministers and those families to go ahead and move around the room. If you need a touch today, that's what we do this for. If you want to know more about this, we're all on this journey too. We're all on this journey too and we want to go on it together. So all of this, this whole thing, this whole regroup focus, your, your small group focus, uh, 
I'm serious. You could crunch up all your curriculum, any curriculum, and just come in and ask the question, where did you see God this last week? Where did you experience God this last week? And give it some time. You won't have time to do anything else. And God will start changing you. He'll start changing you, dealing with you, intimately connecting with you, guiding you, comforting you, and he'll do it interpersonally. All of this reflects, doesn't it, our desire to like be where God is? That's what we're looking for, right? We're looking to be where God is, to work and to will according to his purpose. Well, there's a verse that says he from heaven is trying to do the same thing. It's in Philippians 2. It says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He wants to be where we are too. We can do it. He wants it more than us. I, do you want to be where he is? Do you want to be about his will, his purpose? Let's stand and let's sing and let's confess that to him.